Welcome to episode 41 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with internationally recognised performance skills coach Charlotte Tomlinson. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Change Works is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works, where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. As a firm believer in exploring different avenues, different specialisations, different areas of change, I'm excited to be chatting today with Charlotte Tomlinson, an internationally recognised performance skills coach who, amongst other things, specialises in helping musicians to perform at their peak on stage. Charlotte has developed a number of skills, some that are designed to take people from terrible stage fright to inspired performance with often rapid shifts. Welcome to the podcast, Charlotte. Thank you very much. Well, it really is a pleasure to have you. I'm hoping we can jump really straight in and you could tell us a little bit about um, really what you do and how you got started. Yes, well, I'm a musician. I'm a classical musician, classical pianist, um, and I also teach the piano at, at a fairly advanced level. Um, so all my life I've been a musician and, and that's been my background. So performance teaching, um, I've, I've done a lot of performing as a classical pianist. That's been the whole context, really. And then in the last, I can't think how many years, 10, 20 years or so, I've just followed my passions, my interests that, that have run alongside my love for music. And they've been bodywork and um, anything psychological, anything to do with psychotherapy or psychological understanding or spiritual understanding. So that side and bodywork, and when I say bodywork, I mean the broad umbrella term for anything like Tai Chi, yoga, Feldenkrais, learning how to give massage, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great big kind of area. And I've just done course after course after course, just because I was interested. Hmm. And then a number of years later, it all goes into this sort of big melting pot and comes out as the, the sort of tool bag in a way for me to work with musicians as a performance skills coach. So, so what happened that you were presumably working with people doing the, the typical piano teaching? What made you sort of transition into, hey, guess what? I've, I've got all these tools and techniques and why not start applying them in this area? A um, couple of reasons, really. The first one is I realized that I was actually giving my students more than 
they would expect from a piano teacher um more kind of psychological understanding more physical understanding you know um but also because i recognize that a lot of musicians actually had a lot of problems when they were going on stage. There was a, there was a lot of uh, performance anxiety, nervousness, anxious anxiety generally. Um, and I started to realize that there were things that I could contribute. And one of the key points actually was about 2011. I realized that I had to somehow get all of this information out of my head down on paper so I wrote a book and that really clarified what I was actually offering and the book's called Music from the Inside Out. And in in the book do you talk at all about I mean have you suffered with performance anxiety and you've then learnt some of the skills from the trainings that you've done to overcome it for yourself? Um, I wouldn't say I've had, you know, I suppose what I call standard performance nerves, as in, you know, feeling absolutely ill before you go on stage and wanting to run away and all this sort of thing. I haven't had that. I think for me personally, it's just been a kind of a, a physical tension and a coping coping strategies and not really enjoying it. And I've always known that it c- can be a much more enjoyable experience for everybody when they perform. So not specifically in that way, but but in a more general way. So I'm, I'm curious about um, a, n- a number of things, but specifically, um, I know before we started recording, we talked a little bit about the fact that it's not just working with people from terrible stage fright to, to inspired performance, that, uh, and you kind of inferred as well already that you'll help uh, musicians with a whole other variety of stuff that's going on. Yes, because you don't quite know. I mean, the thing is, uh, in the musical world at the moment, performance anxiety and performance nerves is a hot topic. Mm. Amongst students, there's an enormous desire to kind of get help and support. Amongst professionals, it's completely taboo, especially in the classical world, because nobody dares talk about it because they think that they might lose work or lose their reputation. So it's a very interesting phenomenon out there. Um does, does, I was going to say, does the stigma that you've implied that there is around performance anxiety at that sort of high level create or feed performance anxiety? I think so. Yes. And also what happens and what I write about in my book is that there is still an element in the classical music culture of what I call bullying, actually. And I think it's I think it's in a lot of areas in in our society generally. But what I mean by bullying is a sort of demand from the culture, from teachers, from recordings and all of this that that the performer has to be perfect so, for example, the big international competitions, there's a real expectation that a musician has to be perfect to be even considered. Mm. Um, likewise, the recording industry demands perfection. And if you can't be perfect, it edits out the mistakes. So this is an enormous pressure. There's a lot of pressure on classical musicians to, to get up to these standards. And I think it can be nerve wracking. So... I mean, let's let's say someone comes and is working with you and they are very anxious about something, uh, about a performance. How do you, in your own mind, set about the task of helping that person or giving them the help that they need? 
every single person I work with is a completely different and unique individual. So it always starts from that premise. I, I usually get them to play something. Um, it depends whether this is a, a, a masterclass in public or whether it's a private session. But And, and both are similar, although if they're playing in public, they've got the extra sort of pressure of an audience there. Mm. And the first thing I ask them is how they feel when they played. And that gives me a very fast indication of where we're going with something. And then I basically just pull out of them whatever they want to tell me about how they feel and we go from there but it's very intuitive work it's there's no one size fits all in it with anybody it's whatever that person it's the it's the dynamic between me and that person and what they're going to give me and then how I can work with that so I remember when we first spoke um, it was interesting to me that you talked about and I think it was an example of a violinist and that you noticed um, a particular attention that they had when they played. Yes, um, I think the violinist that we were talking about was somebody who had, yes, she had tension, but she also had a lot of anxiety about performing. So mm -hmm. it's a combination of the two. And sometimes performance anxiety shows through physical tension. So, it, you, you, you know, it's a sort of, it's a whole mixed bag. So she had that and she also had um, the actual, I don't want to go on stage. I don't want to be judged. I, I'm really scared about this. And we worked at things from the, the physical angle and I helped her, you know, free up. I helped her kind of let go of her shoulders, let go of her, um, the tension that she was, subtle tension that she was holding when she was playing that was having an impact, not a dramatic impact, but it was certainly having an impact. Mm -hmm. And also the, the giving her sort of a strategy to kind of work towards the, the terrifying performance but to go in steps so she got acclimatized bit by bit to to different levels of stress and she took those things away we had two sessions she took all of those things away and she then she was a student at one of the music colleges she then got a, a first in her end of year recital and she was absolutely thrilled so that was an example of somebody who took what I was offering, ran with it, really made it work for them and actually dramatically shifted within two sessions. So Charlotte, I, I love hearing stories like that of where people are, you know, come and they have a couple of sessions and they do experience some shifts. But I'm curious in this instance whether is one of the things that perhaps made the difference was you got her to pay conscious attention to something, which be it the subtle tension in her arm, um, that she had not been consciously aware of before? Quite possibly, yes. Yes, she hadn't been aware of it before. That's right. Which leads me to, to, to wonder how much of change, uh, if people do experience change, has that similar feature, which is ultimately, as a change worker, we're getting them to pay attention to things that previously lay outside of their conscious awareness. Mm. I think that's very, very much part of it. Yes. And then but it's not just that, you know, they, they you show them what has been lying dormant and then they haven't been aware of. But then it's what you then do about that and how you help them go to the next stage. That's important. Yeah. Do, when you work with people um, with a variety of, of anxiety related issues around these topics, do you find that people feel like a, a victim? to anxiety that, that they almost talk about it as though it's 
something that happens to them rather than something they have a, an active control over? I'm not specifically aware of that, but but possibly at the beginning. Um, but my, I'm very aware of uh, letting somebody know that it, it is in their power to do something about it. My role as facilitator, their role is to actually take the ball and run with it. I mean, I, I saw some other interesting stuff. Um, you have a, a five-day online course for musicians, uh, which was beyondstagefrightacademy.com. That's right. Yes. I mean, the, the five day uh, freebie is a, is a little bit of a taster. That's just to, to get a few ideas. The real juice of the the um, the online courses that I've got is in the five week course mm-hmm. where somebody can can. I mean, they don't have to do it in five weeks, but it's actually um, it's a really good course in the sense that you're fed little bits of information on a daily basis, which is, I think, the most we can absorb. There's no vast amount of literature you have to plow through just little bits bite-sized chunks on a daily basis um, that you then practice in and over a period of time you then start building in the skills that I think are really essential to be able to perform well. So not meaning to put you on the spot here but I am wondering whether you know through people listening and they're thinking okay well you know I'd love to hear a couple of tasters a couple of ideas of things that you know uh, you could do one could uh, apply to oneself to you know feel better in these situations um have you got a couple of taster techniques or ideas or things that you would get people to pay attention to or to become aware of it's uh that's a tricky one because again it's uh it is so utterly individual but i mean one idea that i did with this particular violinist that i was telling you about before mm. was help a record I paid reference to a little while ago, helping her recognize that um, where she, what she was doing in her practice room and what she was doing in her terrifying final recital at music college was actually a very big, there was a big gap between the two. And that if she could actually learn, find a sort of a, a stepwise process between practice room and scary performance. So, you know, step number one is, is being in your practice room and you're comfortable doing that. You can play your pieces. Step number two is maybe playing in front of one person. Step number three is maybe playing in front of two people. Step number four, et cetera, et cetera. So it's whatever is a little bit more stress each time and you build up the stress levels and you acclimatize and get comfortable with each level so that by the time you get to your sort of scary performance, you've actually got yourself fully prepared for it. I mean, that's something I do work with people quite a lot if I feel it's appropriate. So essentially, I mean, one could refer to that as sort of desensitization that you you build up gradually. Yes, I mean, whatever word you like to use for it. I mean, I would say, I wouldn't say desensitization for, for this particularly, just because it's actually you're you're wanting to be more and more sensitive as a musician you have to be sensitive but that but i see what you're getting at in terms of um, actually i would call it familiarization getting yourself more and more comfortable with each stage and as you get more and more comfortable um then you then you can sort of express yourself more i really like that as an idea that that, uh, of referring to as familiarization rather than desensitization, because uh, I, I love the idea that people don't lose that idea of being sensitive to an audience needs. Yeah, 
and right. and also sensitive. I mean, the the whole thing, and what I'm discovering more and more and more with musicians, particularly, is when a musician. First of all, you have to learn your note, your notes, your music. You have to be at a certain level, obviously, and you have to have a certain amount of performance performing experience. But uh, on top and beyond that, you're if a musician can be in a really good space that's when the freedom comes and that's when the music is they can express the music freely and be who they really are on stage so it's a combination of physical freedom and mental and emotional freedom so that they then become a vehicle and outcomes their own unique expression of that music when that happens the audience get sort of you know goosebumps because it's so there's so much integrity there there's so much humanity honesty and communication i i, I love that i really do and um and it's interesting because it kind of segues into something else that i wanted to talk to you about so so beautifully which is if music is this expression of who they are and we get this honest communication when they're performing at their best um, I'm really keen to explore whether that the work that you do in the context of the music then has some generative effects in other areas of their life. No question. No question about it. Because they are being who they are. Mm. Um, when a musician is really, you know, when a musician is, is really in their integrity and they're really being expressive and they're feeling free physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, it, it, yes, it has an enormous impact on them, and and yes, you can't you can't separate an expression of music from who that person is in their everyday life. You just can't. It it is who they are. Yeah. In fact, funnily enough, I was actually just talking to a student this morning about um, we having a really lovely discussion about listening, um, and I just said, you know, listening and music is essential. But also listening in conversations is an essential. And if you can learn to listen in conversation, then you can learn to listen in music and vice versa. There's a real connection there. I, I really find it fascinating the way, you know, people can work in one specific area. But then the benefits to someone are far more than that specific area, you know. And I mean, for instance, you know, I'll, I'll have people that will come for a fear of flying session, but, you know, six weeks later, tell me that they've decided to start that business that they've always been anxious to start because somehow their brain has learned a strategy now for dealing with and overcoming anxiety. Absolutely. And it's applying it in other areas. And I just think it's one of the most exciting things about the work that we do because you teach in one example, but the brain then generalizes it. And I think following on from that, it, this is just uh, the case that we are whole people. We, we can't be separated off into little boxes. We can't have a musician playing music and then suddenly, you know, is something completely different when they go home at the end of the concert. Mm. They're the same person. And, uh, you know, it, it, you, you can't separate it off. It's a, and, and the work that I do is very much holistic work has to incorporate all of that so how do you help people when perhaps you know you there's all sorts of things that you're you're doing and obviously i understand totally that you have an intuitive approach that that changes depending on the person but do you ever get difficult uh, difficulties or people whom it just it doesn't seem to be to be moving in the right direction it's just not not going somewhere and, and how do you personally navigate those situations 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's so dependent on the person. It's so dependent on the person. So you can have people who are very resistant. They they pay lip service to wanting to change and, and sort something out. And then when it actually comes to it, they've got entrenched ways of thinking, entrenched ways of being physically, entrenched ways. They will argue for their limitations every which way. <laughs> so what do I do? I suppose in that situation, um, I will get, I, I treat it like sort of spokes of a bicycle wheel. I will try one approach. I'll try another approach. I'll try another approach and I'll go all the way around and just see what resonates with them. But I think, I, I think this is something that's very, very important to say. I mean, you talk about it in terms of rapport, but as far as I'm concerned, my role in this work is to completely see in, into the real person and believe in that person and when I hold that I hold that sort of vision of them as it were then you know they have much more chance of being able to shift now they can still be very resistant and obviously if if despite all of that everything that I do they still won't shift well you know there's not much I can do you can take a horse to water but you can't make it drink you know but 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 very often it, it there's a sort of a, a, a stubborn outer layer and if I keep sort of in a very gentle way, sort of prodding away at various different in various different directions, sometimes they will go, okay, all right, let's let's take this on board and go in this direction. Yeah. Well I mean for me I I like thinking about it as, you know, the change worker has a one hundred percent responsibility to bring everything they know, their experience, their ideas, their methods, their intuitions to work with that person in the best possible way but the other person has a 100% responsibility to take that information and to run with it and to, to complete the change absolutely absolutely and I see a lot of people who are starting out in the world of change work who they feel the 100% responsibility for the other person to change and then when you know if, it, if they don't change they go well you know I just I couldn't help them I was a terrible worker I just you know and actually I think we're disempowering people by not giving them the responsibility to, to, to do it themselves. Yeah, I completely agree with that. You have to know when I've done this. I've done this for long enough now to sort of know when I, you know, I've done my bit. I really simply cannot do anymore. If somebody's fighting me, you know, sort of psychologically fighting me or putting up big barriers, nothing I can do. So it's up to them. And and I, I, I mean, I don't want to be, I may sound as if I'm being ageist with this, but I do find that if I work with people in their, specifically in their 60s and 70s, you know, much, much older people, and I do work with those people periodically, mm. um, it's not always the case. Some people can be very, very open, but there are sometimes you have such decades worth of entrenched ways of thinking and entrenched ways of being physically that actually it, that's when it can be very very long-winded and and can take a long time and not necessarily shift or move um, but I'm lucky enough to be working a lot with um, people in the sort of 18 22 18 to 30 age range and they can really shift fast if they decide they want to and, yeah. and I shouldn't be saying this as an age-related thing. It's just that sometimes you do get that bias. But I also equally work with people 
you know, 30 and upwards who are, it depends on the person, who mm. are very, very interested in changing. Well, I mean, I, I think it's obvious that we, I mean, I spoke to many people who, you know, will tell me they get great results, you know, whatever age. However, I have spoken to a couple of change workers on this podcast, and my familiar regular listeners will remember um, that this is not the first time this message has come up, that, you know, there is, you know, certain research that shows that the neuroscientifically, that the uh, malleability, the, the, the neural plasticity of the brain is lower as people get older you know so it would certainly make sense for that to be yeah. the case and for that to be some people's experience from time to time and obviously we have exceptions to the rule but um you know sure um i'm curious when people come and work with you like uh, are they always you know i'm coming because i want this or are there times where they've been sent by someone else to say hey guess what you've got to go and deal with that and see that lady and therefore, they—that's that, where some of the resistance can come from. No, <laughs> no, I very rarely get that. I'm especially not in individual sessions, and and if if I do, I I, I query it straight away, in at the email stage. Um, in a little bit of that when I do masterclasses, because when I do a masterclass at, at say, a, a conservatoire, a music college or university music department or something, then somebody will might have been volunteered. It can be slightly different in a masterclass situation because when I'm doing, uh, I'm working with people in public and that's usually conservatoires or university music departments, sometimes the director of music will have sort of suggested that somebody be a volunteer. But but it's still because they're they're young enough and they're open enough generally, and obviously it's a lot to do with me putting them at their ease in that sort of slightly uncomfortable public situation. They can move through that really quite quickly. But no, in terms of individual sessions, I, I just don't let it happen. If somebody suggests that another person come, you know, if a, a husband suggests their wife come or something, and they're they're reluctant, no way, I'll I'll sort that out in advance. Yeah. Quite right, too. Quite right. Um, so if there are people out there and they're curious to get into this kind of work, what, I mean, you've clearly done so many different trainings and had so many different influences. Are there some standout ones for you that you would recommend other people go and do if they're interested in learning about the work uh, and this kind of approach? Uh, mm, no. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> I, I genuinely can't say, oh, go and do this or go and do that. Because for me, it's been years and years, decades, really, of absorbing stuff, not knowing really where it's come from. Um, reading, absorbing, watching films, YouTube videos, studying, doing courses, you name it. And also the practical uh, performing experience and the teaching experience where I'm learning all the time anyway mm. I, I don't know where I would direct people to and, and you know and I have to kind of learn what about myself and what I do by writing it down you know in books and things so you know when you started working in these sort of psych more psychological areas with people did you see a difference between working with real people as it were and being on training courses trying the stuff out uh, my experience of that is that by the time I'm working with real people 
all the trainings have been so sort of, um, uh, I can't think of the right word, so mixed up and and stirred around in the melting pot of, of experience and and learning and discovery that it becomes my thing. Yeah. And so I just, I, I basically sort of take out whatever I need and I am constantly adjusting according to what the person in front of me needs. Which is, which I think is, is absolutely right. And it's so often, I even said this to you before we went on that, um, you know, the difference between people getting started in a, in a field is often that they have, you know, one set protocol that they've learned somewhere and they sort of, you know, regurgitate with every single person, almost mm. like painting by numbers. Um, Whereas people that have been doing it a while and have really integrated, you know, their way of working, they embody something that's a little bit more intuitive and they even become, dare I say, that they almost stop becoming conscious of exactly what it is and how it is that they do what they do. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly where I am. Which it sounds like, it, yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it kind of happened to you because then, you know, you write this book and it's in the process of writing it that it pulls it back up into your kind of conscious awareness and you kind of go, oh, that's, that's what I do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If people are, are interested in finding out more about you and the work that you do, where can they go? How can they get in touch? The website, that I'm, I'm in the process of sorting out my websites at the moment, but for right for now, musicians can go to charlottetomlinson.com and you can write to me on, uh, you know, the contact form or another version is info at charlottetomlinson.com. And also, if anybody would like to just make contact um, and, and maybe have a chat, I'm really happy to sort of offer 20 minutes free consultation just to find out whether this work is right for you just give me a call the number is on my charlottetomlinson.com website so you can find it from there fantastic and just to reassure you charlotte all of the links and all of the recommendations references that you've mentioned during the podcast we will also put on the rapidchange.works uh information under your episode as well as on itunes so it'll be nice and easy for people to find all that information as well um Charlotte, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, I know you're enormously busy um, with, with the work that you do, so we really do appreciate you spending time with us today and our listeners um, talking to us about you know, some of the methodologies, the way in which you work, and the mindset that you have about it all. And I hope uh, the listeners have found it as interesting as I have. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested? And even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change matters hyphen podcast. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.